You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. Before I get For more information message, and resources like just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Probably many of you have noticed that we are expecting, and I want to be able to take a moment to talk about that. We've hoped for this reality. Some of you have been praying with us, and now we're seeing it come together. And I'm excited this morning to tell you about our baby. The due date is fast approaching, January 15th. That is coming up, and this baby is going to be here. We decided not to, not to wait to find out what it is. And so today, with Jacqueline's permission, I'm going to tell you that we are expecting a church. That's right. We are. It's a church, and uh, we've decided to name her Grace. She'll share a name with her mother, and her full name is going to be Grace Church Gerald. And uh, this morning, I get to tell you all about her, so I'm really glad that you're here for this. And I've been asked to make it very clear that we are not expecting a child. We are expecting a church. Grace Church Gerald exists for making much of God and making disciples of Jesus as a family of grace and truth. I want to unpack that for you this morning. And I was thinking how, with the message I'm about to bring you, there are four types of people who I believe will benefit from this message. First of all, those of you who are praying and asking God, God, do you want me to go with this group of people to start this new church? If you've been praying about that, today will help you in you wrestling with that. It'll also be helpful, I think, for those of you who know that God is not leading you to do that, that you are right where he wants you to be, but you want to understand more about the church that you are starting. You want to be able to tell people about us when they ask. You want to be able to point people toward us. You want to know how to pray for us. Today will help with that. Also, for anyone here who's a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe this message is going to remind us what we are all to be about. And for those of you who might not be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're just checking things out. This message will give you more understanding about what it means to know and follow Jesus Christ. So hopefully that's just about everybody in this room. Let me unpack what I said a moment ago, that Grace Church Gerald exists for making much of God and making disciples of Jesus as a family of grace and truth. I want to break that up, but I'm not going to do it straight through, not in a linear way. I want to start with the idea of what does it mean to be a family of grace and truth? A family, that's what we want to be as a church. Obviously, family is is related to one another and related to the parents. So when we say being the family of God, we're talking about being sons and daughters of our creator. We're talking about being brothers and sisters in Christ It's a biblical word to call the church the family. And some of you may have really, really positive things come to your mind when you hear that connection to family. Others of you may have very painful things come to your mind. Family is messy. And church family is messy. We're going to embrace the mess because family commits to one another. Family says we're going to work things out. Family says we're going to love each other and we're going to forgive each other. So we're going to be a family, a family of grace and truth. I'm going to spend a good chunk of this message now wrestling with this idea of what it means to be a family of grace and truth. When I use those two words, understand this. 
Those are the rails on which we will ride as a church. Like a train on two rails, got to have them both if this train is going to go anywhere. Grace and truth are going to be the rails on which we ride. When we talk about those two things, we're talking about really one thing that that manifests itself in in a couple of different ways. You really can't have one without the other. But for clarity, I think it helps to use the two words, grace and truth. I'm talking about the culture of the church. And the only way that's going to be really the culture of the church is if the people that come are characterized by grace and truth. Grace and truth kind of people. And I'm hoping this morning helps you get more clear about what that is. So those are our core values. This morning, you're not going to get details of, but what's the church going to do exactly in their children's ministry? You're not going to get details like that in this message. This message is, what kind of church is it going to be? What's the heartbeat of the church? Grace and truth are our core values. But another reason that I like those words is it means that we're going to be a Jesus kind of church. And I want to get really clear on why I say that. So I want you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, the fourth gospel, the first chapter. Turn there and hold your place. While you're turning there, let me thank you for praying. Many of you are lifting us up. Some of you have been doing that at 1.15 every day as a connection to how we're going to launch on January 15th. Others of you are praying as God leads. But let me let you know that he's answering those prayers. He's doing it in a number of ways, but this week, Just this past week, we got to sign the lease on the church property in Gerald. We're very excited about that. We had hoped to have a place to meet on Sunday mornings at least and thought maybe a school or something like that. But God opened up a space for us that will be our space 24-7. I'm excited. You guys have made that possible. But also, in addition to that, this past week, we signed the lease on our home that we're going to be renting in Gerald. God has led us to go move down there. It was always a preference, but I didn't see how it was going to be possible, and that's embarrassing to me because I would like to be out front leading by faith, but I saw obstacles, and God said, watch and see what I'm doing. And he came through in amazing ways. So this week we got to sign both of those leases. He surprised us with funding in different ways. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you also to the 107 of you who've committed to going with us, but don't know it yet. I just want to thank you in advance for that. It's extraordinary. All right, John chapter 1. You laughed, which makes me think it's probably not going to be that high of a number. That's okay. John 1. John chapter 1, the apostle John got to spend three years with Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads him to record this gospel, and he writes in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he flows all the way down to verse 14. Look at that. He identifies, he reveals, he says, and the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, So now we know he's talking about Jesus. He says, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. And then look at this phrase, full of grace and truth. And then speaking of John the Baptist, John the apostle writes, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, We have all received grace upon grace. I love that. 
For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was filled to overflowing with grace and truth. And John says it was glorious. He was glorious. If you're familiar with the gospel accounts, can you picture Jesus full of grace? Can you hear Jesus full of truth? Now, again, one of the only ways for us to wrestle with this is to kind of compartmentalize these two things. But keep in mind, they're connected. They're inextricably linked. Can't really have one without the other. But for the sake of understanding, picture Jesus full of grace. See him eating with the tax collectors and sinners. See him moved with compassion for the hungry crowd, seeing them as sheep without a shepherd. See him delight to welcome little kids to him. Picture Jesus, full of grace, touching and healing those suffering from leprosy and blindness. See him declare salvation to the criminal on the cross beside him. See him in his dying moments express care for his mother as he tells John, his apostle, the the writer that we just read from, to care for her and her to care for him. Grace, grace, grace. And can you hear Jesus full of truth? Hear him calling out religious leaders for being hypocrites. Hear him talk about hell unapologetically, even more than he talked about heaven. Hear him call those who would be his disciples to deny themselves, to take up their cross daily and to follow him. Hear Jesus, full of truth, calling the rich young ruler to go sell everything he has and then to come follow him. Hear Jesus prophesy judgment upon Jerusalem for their unrepentant hearts and hear him uphold God's law, set standards, demand everything from his followers, even their lives. Truth, truth, truth. But you understand that Jesus didn't wear his cap forward when he was in truth mode and then spin it around backwards when he was in grace mode. He never left truth mode. He never left grace mode. He, was, he had a remarkable harmony of those two things overflowing out of him. Now, it's true that there are various moments when, when, when Jesus appears to be, appears to be uh, more overtly grace-oriented or more overtly truth-oriented. And I was wrestling with why that is, if, if, he's, if he's always full of grace and truth, and if it's a, a, a gracey truth and a truthy grace, why does it sometimes look like, oh, here's a grace moment and here's a truth moment? At the risk of oversimplifying, I think it's this. As James and Peter both allude to, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We see him live that out. To the humble, Jesus showed extraordinary grace, but it was a truth-filled grace. And to the proud, Jesus expressed unapologetic truth, but it was a grace-filled truth. To paraphrase something that Brother Bill said to me this last week, Jesus had a wonderful way of graciously comforting the afflicted and truthfully afflicting the comfortable. Jesus is our standard. 
He is the bar. Now, there's a way to move from this moment in the message and beat you up, right? Because we can all immediately say, I'm not there. I'm not overflowing all the time with grace and truth in my home and at my workplace and in my neighborhood. But here's the good news that I have for you, and I hope you hear this, maybe with fresh ears today, even if you already know it. As Christians, we are not called to merely copy Jesus. Don't read the Gospels and go, Jesus did that, so I should be trying to do that and think that is the Christian life. Don't simply ask, what would Jesus do, and then try to go do it and think that's the Christian life. We are not called to merely copy Jesus because, watch this, Jesus is still alive and well. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are indwelt by his Holy Spirit. And to the degree, watch this, to the degree that we are trusting in, clinging to, and relying on Jesus, he will fill us to overflowing with his Spirit, and we will overflow with grace and truth as Jesus lives and loves through us. Someone in this room Maybe thinking in this moment, I don't really get the distinction. Wait, so, so we're not supposed to try to, try to imitate Jesus? Yeah, we are. But I said we're not merely trying to copy Jesus. There's a way of trying to do the Christian life that is so burdensome because we are trying to do in our own strength what Jesus called us to do. The opposite of that that we're called to is to be relying on him to do those things through us as we step out in obedient faith. The question is, are you relying on yourself to do it or are you relying on Christ to do it? It's doable when we realize Christ is still doing it. So Jesus, full of grace and truth, that's why we want to be a church full of grace and truth. But did the early church look like that as well? Yes. Go to Acts chapter 4. Go to Acts chapter 4. One book to the right. Fourth chapter. In Acts 4, we're going to look just at this one snapshot. There's other places you could look at. But in Acts chapter 4, a little on down, and starting in verse 32, we read this. The, the, uh, the writer Luke recording this for us so that we could have this moment preserved. Acts 4, 32. Now the full number of those who believed, note that word, of those who believed, were of one heart and soul. Look at that unity in the early church. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. What I want you to see there is they believed the truth and they behaved with grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is always what we need, but we don't deserve we get that from God, and we're called to be that way with one another. Separately, believing the truth and behaving with grace, separately those things are beautiful, but together they're breathtaking. Verse 33 of Acts 4 says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony, note that, to what? To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus 
and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. They powerfully spoke the truth, and they personally shared with grace. Truth and grace. Randy Alcorn, in his great little book, The Grace and Truth Paradox, and I recommend that to you, writes this. Truth was the food they ate and the message they spoke. Grace was the air they breathed and the life they lived. The only church growth formula the early church possessed was the body of truth flowing with the blood of grace. They drew thousands to Jesus by being like Jesus. Tim Chester has a memorable way of of addressing this topic in his book, You Can Change. He says, love without truth is like doing heart surgery with a wet fish. Just give you a second with that one. Love without truth is like doing heart surgery with a wet fish. But truth without love, Tim Chester says, is like doing heart surgery with a hammer. Some of you have treated other people in those ways, maybe at different times. Some of you have been treated those ways. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had this thought? Either the Christian life has turned out to be less than I expected it to be, or maybe there's more to it than I'm experiencing. If you've ever had that thought, let me tell you the answer is the latter. And it may be because you're trying to fly with one wing. Going back to Randy Alcorn, he says, Birds need two wings to fly. With only one wing, they're grounded. The gospel flies with the wings of grace and truth. Not one, but both. He says, Truth-oriented Christians love studying Scripture and theology. But sometimes they're quick to judge and slow to forgive. They're strong on truth, weak on grace. Then he says, grace-oriented Christians love forgiveness and freedom, but sometimes they neglect Bible study and see standards, moral standards, as legalism. They're strong on grace, weak on truth. I want you wrestling with this in a personal way. So do you tend, you yourself, do you tend to be more oriented towards truth or more oriented towards grace? I think a lot of us find ourselves oriented maybe toward one more than the other. And maybe you've experienced the weakness of trying to fly with that one wing. We must not settle for less than Jesus gloriously and fully living through us in grace and truth. Individually, and corporately as a church. So Grace Church Gerald exists for making much of God and making disciples of Jesus as a family of grace and truth. Okay, but how? How do we do that? I didn't want to move on to the other parts of that statement without first addressing the, the how question. How, how do we individually become more like that? Well, I've told you that it's going to be not by trying harder in your own strength, but trusting more in Jesus. But let me say this, I believe the answer to how an individual Christian can become more of a grace and truth Christian 
is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures working together. What I mean by this is the Spirit uses the Word to teach us truth and then to shape us from the inside out to look more like Jesus. So if we want to cooperate with God in this process, we spend time with God in His Word, and we do so humbly, teachably, with repentant hearts, like we're having a time of surgery there, so that perhaps painful but really helpful things take place. The tip of this spirit and scripture spear is this. And and, and if you only get one thing out of this whole message, it would be what I'm about to say right now. The tip of this spirit and scripture spear is the cross. So if you came to me and you said, Kyle, I need you to get more practical. Tell me what specifically can I do in order to, to find myself overflowing more with grace and truth. I would say this. Spend time meditating on the cross of Jesus Christ. What I mean by meditating on it, I mean setting your mind on what took place there. Fixing your thoughts on the grace that was shown to you, the extravagant grace of God that he showed to you through the cross of Jesus and over and over and over since then, grace upon grace, and stay there. Stay meditating on that until you have a sense that you are standing under the waterfall of his grace. And it results in a heart of awe and worship toward him and a longing to be a channel of that grace toward other people. I think so often the reason that we are not gracious with others is that we don't understand the grace that was shown to us. But it's not something you learn once. It's not something that you you learn once like two plus two and once you've got it, you've got it. It's something that we get away from. It's something we take for granted. It's something that, that causes us to see a cross and not be moved after a while because we're so familiar. And so I believe regularly we, as followers of Jesus, should set our minds on the cross of Jesus Christ. And I believe that one of the graces that will come from that is that shaping to be more truth and grace type of people. Grace Church Gerald exists for making much of God and making disciples of Jesus as a family of grace and truth. I ended that last part there. I covered that last part. Now we want to go back to what do I mean when I say we're going to be a church that is making much of God. Making much of God, It's another way to say that is magnifying God. There's two ways to magnify. You could take a microscope and you could take something really small and and magnify it to look bigger than it is so that you could see it. Or you could take a telescope and look at something that's massive but far away and try to get a glimpse of it as it really is. The way we talk about magnifying or making much of God is going to be more of the latter, where we are trying through God's spirit and word to get a glimpse of God as he reveals himself to us. And we want to celebrate that. We want to highlight that. We talk about being a church that makes much of God. It means we're not going to be a church that makes much of problems, that makes much of temporary things. We're not going to be a church that makes much of ourselves. We're not going to be a church that makes much of the preacher. We're not going to be a church that makes much of music in and of itself. We're going to be a church that makes much of God. 
The goal being that when you leave a gathering, especially the gathering on Sunday, but when you leave a gathering, that, that yeah, you might be thinking about how this was great or that person was great or this was great, but ultimately you'll be thinking about how God is so great. I'm about to have you drink out of a fire hose, and so I, I want you to prepare yourself. What I'm about to do, I would not advise somebody to try to do in a message because it's, it's going to just be, it's going to be too much. I'm telling you up front, why do it? Because I get, I get one shot at this, like this, and I want to make the most of it, and so I'm just going to prep you, and then we're going to get out this, everything that God wants us to get out of this. So I need you to, to be fully present. I need you not to daydream. I'll let you know when you can go back to daydreaming, okay? But for, for right now, I want you to be really focused, okay? Because I started wrestling with, in preparation for this message, what does that look like? What does a church that makes much of God look like? Well, it means this. We will make much of God by being a people who are, I'm going to give you a lot of alliteration. Some of you like alliteration. Some of you find it helpful and meaningful. Some of you just glaze over when they all start with the same letter. Don't get lost in the alliteration. All right? I promise you the words are intentional. We will make much of God by being a people who are, first of all, saturated with God's gospel, saturated with God's gospel. We are never going to get tired of the gospel. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to have gospel threads going through everything we do. We're going to be embracing the gospel and, and communicating the gospel to one another. The gospel is the good news. In Mark chapter 1, we read Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The time is fulfilled, he says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is this. I say it this way. It's, it's the gospel in a nutshell. Here we go. God is holy. We are sinful, separated by our sin. Sent in love, Jesus died to bear God's wrath on our behalf and resurrected gives us life and is our joy as we repent and place our lifelong faith in him. That's what I call you to do today. If you've not repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, your lifelong faith in Jesus Christ to save you and lead you, that's what I'm calling you to today. If you have embraced the gospel, then I call you back to the gospel to be amazed by these gospel realities and to make sure that you are looking for opportunities to communicate it to other people. We will make much of God by being a people who are saturated with God's gospel, also who are saved by God's Son, who are saved by God's Son. We want to celebrate the salvation that has taken place. Dana and the worship leaders did a wonderful job of bringing us back to marveling at the realities of the cross this morning. We never want to get tired of that. We never want it to become old. We make much of God by, by, by being a people who are saved by God's Son, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, according to Scripture alone. That's the kind of church that we'll be. We make much of God by being a people who are studying God's Word, studying God's Word. Every church that exists, just about if they call themselves a Christian church, will try to say in some way that they are Bible-based or that they believe the Bible. And what I'm learning is that means different things to different churches. 
If you're a part of Grace Church Salado, let me tell you that you are fortunate with the diet that you are being exposed to. Because what I found is that people show up sometimes at church and they start saying, I've learned a lot more about God and his word since coming to this church. I mean, you guys really use the Bible. To which we're like, what were they using where you were before? So we're going to be studying God's word. Now, we know that God's word is inspired by God and is profitable for, watch this, showing us the right way, the wrong way, how to get right and how to stay right. Jesus says that his word is our joy, is our life. The Apostle Paul says it's our hope. So we're going to be studying God's word. We're going to make much of God by being a people who are stunned by God's character. Stunned by God's character. The way that the disciples were stunned in the boat when they were with Jesus and Jesus falls asleep and the big storm comes and they think they're going to drown and they wake him up. Don't you care that we're all going to die? And then Jesus gets up and he calms the wind and the waves. We read in Matthew 8, the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? We're going to make much of God by being a people who are stunned by God's character. We'll make much of God by being a people who are stabilized by God's sovereignty. Stabilized by God's sovereignty. I love this so much. I think it's my favorite verse in the entire Bible right now. Psalm 115, verse 3, that simply says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. How much that impacts you depends on what you think of God. If you believe that God is truly, if he's sovereign, holy, and good, if you have embraced from Scripture as led by the Spirit to go, you know what, I've come to see that God is sovereign, and he's holy, and he's good, that's what I call the trifecta of trustworthiness. Because if God is really all three of those things, then we can totally trust him. And if that's the God who is in the heavens doing all that he pleases, that has a stabilizing effect for us in a world that is unstable, in a world of shifting sand. So we're going to make much of God by being a people who are stabilized by God's sovereignty. We're going to make much of God by being a people who are submitted to God's reign. Because what we don't want is Jesus saying, as he did in Scripture, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? We want to be embracing the reality where he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So out of a love for him, we want to be doing what he said, submitted to God's reign. We're going to make much of God by being a people who are showered with God's grace, who are showered with God's grace. The waterfall that I talked about earlier where we're standing under that waterfall, worshiping him and longing to be a channel to others. Some of you are like, whew, that's a long list. We're halfway done. Number eight, we're going to make much of God by being a people who are serving in God's family. God is not calling up spectators, all right? I don't want you to go, hey, I'm I'm coming to Gerald with you. I just can't wait just to see what God is doing. I'm like, well, come and watch what God's doing, but get engaged. Get off the bench. Get in the game. God is not raising up pew sitters and moving them from place to place. He's calling us to serve God's family. Look at the way that Peter says this. In 1 Peter 4.10, he says, As each, each follower of Jesus has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God gives grace to us in the form of a gift, a way or sometimes multiple ways or a mix of ways to serve one another in the body of Christ. We're going to be serving in God's family. And right on the heels of that, we'll make much of God by being a people who are strengthened by God's spirit. Now listen to this. 
right after saying that, Peter said this, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now, this is huge. This is huge. Listen, listen. We could have 107 people come together to start this church and every one of the 107 be absolutely committed to serving in different ways. And we'd look at it on paper and go, man, this is amazing. Look at everything is covered. All these people are serving. But if we are not serving in the strength that God supplies, if we're serving in our own strength, I give it two weeks, three weeks. When you serve in your own strength, you burn out and you become bitter. Other people aren't serving as much as I am. Half the people here don't even appreciate what I'm doing. Your focus turns inward on yourself, but when you're serving with the strength that God supplies, there's a joy in it because you're doing it for and with him. We're gonna make much of God by being a people who are number 10, surviving on God's power. Surviving, a dramatic word there, but it's appropriate because I'm talking about the analogy that Jesus uses of the vine and branch in John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine. He says, you're the branch. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, if, if, this, if you're abiding in me, if you're pitching your tent right there, if that connection is strong, then you'll bear much fruit. The life flows from the vine into the branch and you produce fruit. But he says, apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we want to be a people who are surviving on God's power, thinking about being the husband we need to be, the wife we need to be, the parents we need to be, how we're going to be at work so that we can be a witness how we're going to be loving our neighbors only by God's power. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Number 11, we're going to make much of God by being a people who are sanctified, sanctified for God's purposes. Sanctified for God's purposes. That means set apart. It means shaped by the Holy Spirit to look more like Jesus. I had a thought this week, and we don't have the carpentry years of Jesus. That would be a cool book of the Bible, right? The carpentry years and see the interactions he has and all that. But imagine, imagine that, that Jesus one day is in, a, in the carpentry shop and, and, and he needs, a, 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 let's say, another mallet. And he's going to make it himself. He's going to make a mallet there. And so he takes the wood and he makes the mallet. As he's making this tool, he's making a tool that is going to serve his purposes just right. And that's what we want him to do with us. We want him to shape us for his purposes, sanctified for God's purposes. We're going to make much of God by being a people who are savoring God's presence, savoring God's presence. After the Great Commission, Jesus says, and behold, meaning look at this, don't miss this, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He's with us now until the moment that we're in his actual presence, and we want to be savoring that, a people who are walking with God a people who spend time with him and rely on him. Number 13, we'll, we'll make much of God by being a people who are suffering for God's glory. Suffering for God's glory. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're realizing that painful things come into the lives of Christians as often as they come into the lives of non-Christians. But Christians have an opportunity to rely on the God who is sovereign over all in such a way that we can go through suffering with hope. Not just hope in a desired outcome, but hope in God himself with an anchored assurance that should cause the world around us to wonder, how, how are you going through this? 
I, I would be drowning if I was going through what you're going through. And we find ourselves being unable to point to anything in ourselves, pointing to him. God is doing this. God is doing this for me. He is the one who is doing this, suffering for God's glory. And then lastly, for this list, we'll make much of God by being a people who are sent on God's mission. Sent on God's mission. And at the end of Matthew, we have the great commission to make disciples. We are called to be disciple makers. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But one of my favorite verses in the Bible for our mission is the way that Paul talks about that mission in application to the church at Thessalonica. So we read this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. Paul says to them, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is what I'm praying God will increasingly do for all of us toward the people of Gerald and the surrounding area, that it would not simply be some kind of organization that we're starting, but that on a heart level, we would find ourselves being affectionately desirous of the people there, that we would be ready to share with them the gospel of God, but we wouldn't say just to share the gospel of God with them was enough, but we are also sharing our own selves, our own lives. It's one of the reasons I believe that God has led Jacqueline and I and the boys to move there, to be able to spend more time with people. I don't believe that that is, has to be the case all the time, but that's why he's taking us there, and I want us to have that heartbeat. He says, because you have become very dear to us. So we will make much of God by making much of God's gospel, God's son, God's word, God's character, God's sovereignty, God's reign, God's grace, God's family, God's spirit, God's power, God's purposes, God's presence, God's glory, and God's mission. When I say we're gonna make much of God, I mean it. It's gonna be about God. Grace Church Gerald exists for making much of God and making disciples of Jesus as a family of grace and truth. So what's that last part that's left? Making disciples of Jesus. I've referenced it multiple times. What's that gonna look like? Well, we're going to call people to invest kind of at the core of what we do in three things, in our worship gathering, in our fellowship groups, and in discipleship groves, groves, like a group of trees growing together, worship gatherings, fellowship groups, and discipleship groves. It might look like this. Perhaps the first year you go all in with our weekly worship gathering where we make much of God by reading the word and preaching the word, praying the word, and singing the word, and displaying the word through the Lord's Supper and baptism. And also that first year, you go all in with one of our fellowship groups where you let yourself, please, where you let yourself be truly known in that context and the priorities of our fellowship groups being application of God's word, accountability to walking in God's ways, and encouragement from God's people. So perhaps that first year, you go all in with our worship gathering and our fellowship group. And then perhaps, perhaps, it doesn't have to work out exactly this way, but perhaps the second year, you come alongside a group of people, three to six others, no more than six, for one year in a discipleship grove, staying together for one year where, where your joy grows through these things through reading the entire Bible, 
developing holy habits, laying a foundation for doctrinal understanding, knowing and obeying what Jesus commands and learning to obey by faith, and filled, being filled to overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. That's that goal of that discipleship year. And then perhaps the third year, your grove breaks up and you each start your own grove. You each start your own discipleship grove based on what you've just spent the last year doing. You're going to turn around now, call some people alongside you to do it again so that you're making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I got to meet this week with the recently retired fire chief of Gerald. And one thing that he told me, because he's a brother in Christ, uh, he was saying how people are moving to Gerald, but he's not sure how long they're going to stay because it's a bedroom community where people are driving to work and they're going away um, during the week to work somewhere else. And he's wondering if when they can afford it, if they'll just move closer to work. It's going to be interesting to see. It would make sense. What I love is that when we send people out um, every Monday as they go to work, we're sending out disciple makers. If they do end up moving somewhere else, we're sending out disciple makers. And along the way, we want every, every member of Grace Church Gerald to be engaging other people evangelistically. And if that freaks you out a little bit, just know this. Freaks me out too. I'm very comfortable right now, even though I'm an introvert, but getting to get up and preach God's word is, is a sweet spot for me by the grace of God. But talking to a stranger while I'm filling up my gas tank is weird. It's awkward. I envy those of you who do it just so naturally. But we want to be a people who are going out intentionally to engage. So my office a lot of times is going to be McDonald's or somewhere else in Gerald where I'm going to be able to be out around people. And we want to be doing these kind of things. We're going to be challenging people. If you come with us, understand you're going to be challenged to be looking at grabbing one of these opportunities on a daily basis. Serve someone in an extra mile way. Understand someone by asking them questions and really listening to them. Name someone, meaning learn their name and remember it and use it with them. Lift someone up in prayer. Hey, could I pray for you right now? Before I thanks for thanks for waiting on us as we eat in this restaurant. We're gonna be saying a prayer for our food in just a minute. Is there a way we could be praying for you? Invite someone to one of our gatherings, gift someone thoughtfully, host someone in your home, and tell someone about Jesus. We're going there to be light. And we need help. And so I ask for your help. I ask you to do what many of you have already been doing. I ask you to dare to ask God if he is calling you to one, two, or three of these things. Is he calling you, one, to be a pioneer who eagerly joins us in this mission from God? Or is he calling you, two, to be a patron who generously gives to this mission from God? Or is he calling you, three, to be a prayer warrior who fervently prays for this mission from God? How can you be praying for us? Pray that God continues to give us all a heart for the lost. Pray that God continues to raise up the right people to be a part of our core team. Pray that God continues to supply the funds that we need. And pray that we are desperately reliant on Christ to build his church. 
in one of the, you know, the first town hall that we had here, Dana raised her hand and asked a question, and she said, what do you fear? I wasn't prepared for that. I hadn't thought through that. But since then, the thing in neon lights that has come back time and time again is I fear me. I fear trying to do it in my own strength. I fear running ahead of God or lagging behind God. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain, and we don't want meaningless ministry. So pray for that. If you want more information, you can go to gracegerald.com. It just recently got up. It's pretty basic right now, but you can keep checking in, and that's going to get more and more fleshed out. You see my email address is on the screen, kyle at gracegerald.com including if you're interested in the prayer walk later today and want more information, you can email me about that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and God is not calling you to come with us, then know this, he is calling you to go all in with the body of Christ. And it very well might be right here. So if this message serves the purpose of not calling you away from here to Gerald, but helps stir you up to be fully engaged in what God is doing here, then that is fantastic. Because that is what we are called to do. This is who we are called to be. We don't want to settle for anything less. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace toward us. We are unworthy, we're undeserving, and I ask that you forgive us for the times that we demand someone be deserving of grace before we show it to them. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word and for the privilege we have of living on this side of the canon of Scripture so that we have your word so easily accessible at our fingertips. I pray, Father, that you would continue to help us marinate in the truth of your word so that it comes out effortlessly of our mouths and comes into our minds when we're thinking through things comes into our hearts when we're struggling. I pray, Father, that as Jesus was full of grace and truth, that you would help us understand how to be abiding in Jesus so that that overflows out of us on a moment-by-moment basis. God, would you help this new church make much of you in fresh and exciting ways because you are so massively awesome. I pray, Father, that you would take our breath away with who you are And would you help us make disciples who make disciples? Thank you in advance, Father. From the bottom of my heart, Father, I thank you for Grace Church, Salado, Jason and David and the leaders here who have relied on you to step out in this adventure in a way that is going to impact eternity. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.